don't think we signed up for this. Hi. Hi. If you can stand right behind that line. Today, you are going to be running a mile. <laughs> no, 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 we're not. Hey, I, we'll hold all questions to the end. Here's how we're gonna make this fair for you, okay? Remove your shoes and place them in front of you. So go ahead, you can do that right now. Oh. You can leave your socks on or not. Oh no. Great. And now I want each of you to take one big step to your right with the person on the end no. going to the beginning. Oh, right on. Oh, oh man. I got where you're I got so lucky. This is gonna be great. I can get both of my feet one of your shoes. You don't know what's gonna happen. Big guy in the little shoes. You don't know what's gonna happen. Can I have your shoes? Oh, please. Say hello and get acquainted with your new shoes. And let's go ahead and put those bad boys on. We've got a race to run. Oh my god, I do not like feet. Well, today you're gonna like them. Can we help you? Now can we not put your toe in? No, it's, okay. it's gonna it's break. Gonna I don't appreciate any of perfect. I don't hate this. So, runners, are you ready? No, we're not ready. Is this the finish we line? Are we really running? This is the start line and the finish line. All right, guys, let's get ready. On your mark, get set, go. Coming out of my shoes. I need. Supposed to happen. I feel bad. Come here. Yeah. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Kelly took her shoes off. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Y'all are looking great. I'm so sweaty. Man, Carrie's determined to win. She is. She's welcome to win. Come on, kid. Can't do it. Finish this thing together. Can't do it. All right, we're all set. Oh. Okay. Like, these shoes are ruined. I think I'm gonna crawl the finish line. Can't do it. Come on. Thank you, bro. Come on. Thank you, guys. so stupid. Um, <laughs> hey, so, uh, hey, so we thought today we would start all of our churches. We're so glad you're with us. Um, we thought today we'd start, if you could, everybody, if you could do me a favor, take your shoes off and I want you to move one seat to your, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. 
That'd be so weird. How many of you were like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm literally getting up and leaving. Anybody else? Yeah, man. Like, the, I'm like the girl on the, on the race. She's like, oh, I hate feet. That, that's how I feel. Like, if I go into a person's house, like, we don't wear shoes in here. I go, well, I don't come to your house then. I, I'm just out. So, uh, I think the, the toe thing, especially man toes, like, there's no excuse for showing those. So, they're cute when they're three, you know, or, or one. But at that point, you know, there's fungus. It's just out. So, um, anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, we, we are uh, closing out this conversation in your shoes today. Paul did an incredible job last week kind of introducing this idea of empathy. We're going to close down the idea today. Well, we're not going to close it down completely, but we're going to give you some good things to think about. We're going to quit the conversation today, though, and end the conversation. Um, really, in case you weren't here last week, or maybe if you were here, but it's been seven days, you can't remember what you did yesterday, much less last Sunday. Let me quickly review what we talked about last week. Um, we really kind of centered the whole conversation around one thing that Jesus said when he was in this place that we call the upper room. Uh, quick review. So Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover feast. They're in this place that, again, we call the upper room. They're in this upper room uh, celebrating together. And Jesus knows that he's about 12, 18 hours away from being falsely accused, arrested, and then crucified. Now, again, spoiler alert, three days later, he came back to life, which was awesome. But he knew that was going to happen. No one else knew, right? Now, he's been telling the disciples like over and over and over what's going to happen. But they're, they're, they're disciples. They're like, whoop, over their head every time. They, they don't get it, right? They, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. And so one more time, he like gives them some really incredibly important instructions around what's going to happen to him. There's a few important things that happen in the upper room. He, uh, remember this, he takes his cloak off and he gets a towel. And he washes all the disciples' feet. Most of them, again, back to the feet thing is gross, right? So most of them uh, kind of like try to make him not do it, but he, he forces them to do it because he's trying to show them what a true leader would do, that he would serve other people. And he knows these guys are going to be the guys launching the movement of Christianity in the first century church that we kind of get to live out of today. And so he wants to help them understand what it looks like to serve others as a leader. He, he then, remember, he takes some bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. It represents my body. It would be broken for you. Again, they had no idea what he was talking about. 18 hours later, it made a lot more sense. He took the wine and he said, this is uh, the, the representative of my covenant, my blood that's going to be poured out, spilled out for you. Again, whoop, over their head. But 12 hours later, they began to understand more. And then he does maybe one of the most incredible things that I think was difficult for the disciples to hear. <laughs> they had no idea how much more difficult it was going to be to live it out. He, he, he says a new command I'm going to give you. Now, when he gave him this new command, it wasn't like a additional new command. It was a replacement new command. Now, if you were a disciple, Jesus replacing commands and boiling it or simplifying it down was not a new idea to you. You had already seen him a few, maybe a year or so prior, be uh, with the, the Pharisees. They're always trying to trick Jesus, right? They show up and they go, well, there's 600 and something, you know, 13 or whatever commands, Jewish laws. Which one's the most important, Jesus? And he goes, oh, that's easy. There, there's just two that, are, that really matter. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Those are the only two. If you follow those, everything else will be taken care of. And of course, the disciples walk, uh, you know, walk away with Jesus smiling and the, the Pharisees walk away, kind of uh, got it again from Jesus, you know. And so now Jesus is with these guys again and he looks at them and he basically says, remember how we boiled the whole thing down to two? Then he says, well, something dramatic is about to happen and we're going to be able to boil it down to one. Something so dramatic is about to happen. You don't know. You don't understand. You will uh, in about 18 hours, but something so important is going to happen that we're going to just have one command. 
He says, a new command I give you, if you want to be one of my followers, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, when the disciples heard this, again, it's hard to imagine what they probably felt, but if you could put yourself there in, in, in their shoes or in their sandals, whatever they were wearing, okay, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. When they heard this, they probably thought, that's difficult, but... I could probably do that. You know, I could be a little better. Like, Jesus, we watched you for three years. Like, we watched you be nice to the, like, centurion soldier. Okay, we can do that. Like, we, we watched you uh, not throw stones at the woman caught in adultery. Instead, you made everybody else drop their stones. You were so smart and so loving. And then you told her that you didn't condemn her. But you probably should rethink the way you're living because it's harmful to you and to others. Like, we've, we've seen you be kind to blind people and to lepers. And, okay. We, we can love people more like your loving people. Of course, of course, bless their hearts. They had no idea how far reaching that love was going to be, right? Like they had no idea what it really was going to mean to love others the way that Jesus had loved them because he died for them, right? When they were still sinners and when they were still undeserving, he died for them. What an unbelievable display of love that they were going to get to watch in a half a day. Um, of course, I don't, I don't think Jesus' goal in the whole thing was to make it easy, right? Like, like if he wanted to make the new command an easy command, he would have just said this, right? Like a new command I give you, love one another as they are lovable, so you should love one another. That, that's my translation. Like if... If, if he was trying to make it easy, that's what he would have said, right? Because we can kind of do that. Now, if we're honest, we don't even do that very well all the time. But this is at least more achievable. Like, love the people who deserve it. Don't love the people who don't. Like, love the people who are lovable to you. Don't love the people who aren't lovable to you. Like, if they deserve your love. I mean, it's almost like it almost would have given us an out. Like, if we could just love the people who love us and ignore the people who don't, it would have been so much much easier. But that isn't what Jesus said, right? He said, love one another. And, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news and, and don't shoot the messenger here, but uh, you do know who is in the category of one another, right? Everybody's in the category of one another, including those people. Those people are a part of the one another. You know who those people are, right? Paul introduced it last week. But those people, it's just that group of people that is, they are just almost impossible to love. And we all have versions of those people. I mean, I will tell you, those people are all over the roads all the time. Like they are never using their blinkers. They're always befuddled. Like their minds are blown at the four-way stop. I don't know who to go first. Just pay attention. It's not that hard, you know? Like, like those people are always in the left lane driving under the speed limit, always when you're in a hurry. Those people, they're the worst, man, right? There are so many. There's a lot more car to those people, but we need to get on. Um, but think about like the deeper versions of those people for a minute, right? Like, and maybe just for you, like for you, maybe, maybe the, the, those people for you, there's like a political version of those people. Maybe there's a generational version of those people, a, a, a racial, a gender version of those people. I, I don't know what it is for you, but we all have versions of those people, and those people are a part of the one another, which makes following this new command that Jesus gave us so, so difficult, almost, almost impossible. 
And you know, the problem with those people, right? The problem with those people is they, they just see the world differently, or, or maybe you would say wrongly. Like, that's their problem. Like, they just see the world wrongly. They think wrongly. They act wrongly. They behave wrongly. They, they do everything wrongly. They vote wrongly. I mean, they wear their clothes wrongly. Everything about these people, they're just the worst because they're not just different. They are wrong. And, 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 and here's, that's what we think. And there's really good news, I guess, when it comes to this. Because for the most part, for the most part, we are able to kind of remove ourselves from being in direct relationship with those people. I mean, for the most part, right? Like for the most part, we can avoid having direct relationships with those people, which is really important. Because, and maybe you've heard this said before, right? That the quality of our lives is really only as good as the quality of our relationships. I mean, you know that, right? Especially if you're married. Like, you know that's true. Like, the quality of our life, the quality of our lives, it really is only as good as the quality of our relationships, which means if we were forced to be in direct relationships with those people, the quality of our life would really, really suffer. Now, occasionally we are, like occasionally we are forced to be in a direct relationship with those people. Like for the most part, those people stay over there where they belong and, and our people stay over here. And every once in a while, like one of those people, mother-in-law, whoever, sneaks in to your group of those, uh, of our people, right? And you gotta have a relationship with them, but, but not always. I mean, for the most part, those people stay over there. Our people stay over here. Every once in a while, we accidentally hire one of those people you know, we're like, how did that happen? You know, I didn't see it on the resume. They didn't start it with, I'm a those person. You know, you didn't know. Or maybe you married a those person, you know, like if you did, no elbows and you're in it now. It's too late. But, you know, like maybe that was a problem as an accident. You didn't see it coming. You know, you were young, you were dumb, you were blinded by love. And you were like, I don't care who you vote for. But then 30 years later, you're like, are you crazy? You know, so it's so hard. So when we think about those people, especially relationally, when we think about those people, the good news is that for the most part, those people are over there and our people are over here, which makes it so much easier to deal with those people. I mean, after all, right, relationships require two people, right? It takes two to tango. I don't even really know what tangoing is, but it takes two people to do it. And it takes two people to be in a relationship, right? Like, if you think about it, it's almost like Jesus gave us a new covenant or new command loophole, right? If we can keep those people over there and we can keep our people over here, it creates a separation or a chasm, which almost gives us a loophole, right? Like, for instance, you, you really, in a way, you only have to love one another if you're around one another. And if you cannot be around those people, it will keep you from having to love those people. I mean, it's like a, a new covenant loophole that, that Jesus gave us. But, but here's the problem. And, and, and it's so easy to begin to think this way. But here's the problem. If you really think about the way relationships work, I would argue, and I bet you would too, that our relationships are way broader than we actually think. Like, like our relationships aren't just one individual and another individual. Our relationships, our relational life, it's way broader than we initially at least want to think. The, the reality is when it comes to relationships, we, we actually all have a relationship with anything that we relate to. We have a relationship with anything that we relate to. That's really important. Let, let me give you an example, at least from my life. Like, for instance, I have a very deep and personal and intimate relationship 
with a spicy deluxe chicken sandwich with pepper jack cheese and buffalo and ranch sauce from Chick-fil-A. It's emotional. It's, it's, I mean, when it's over, I cry every time. I mean, it's a real relationship, man. It's real. Like, I have a relationship with jalapeno peppers. I love those things. They're so good. And, and the thing about jalapeno peppers that are so cool is that they have recently replaced avocados as like the fad food. Have you noticed this? Like, how did avocado even make it into the fad food? It's gross. It's mushy. It's, it's disgusting. Jalapenos are delicious. I also have a relationship with queso. And if you put those two together, oh my gosh, it's heaven. In fact, I think heaven is made of queso. It's so good, right? Now, I, I could go on. I have a lot of food-related kind of relationships. Um, you, you have relationships with things, too. You do, too. Maybe you have food relationships. I don't know. I, I bet some of us have a relationship with a car. All right, again, no elbows, uh, wives, please. But, but you have a relationship maybe with a boat. I mean, check this out. If you've ever named it, you have a relationship with it. You do. You may have a relationship with a piece of furniture, a table. You may have a relationship with a house. You may have a relationship with a pair of shoes or a dozen pair of shoes. I mean, I don't know, right? So some of you, some of you have a relationship with a sports team. Like, like some of you have a relationship with, with Florida State. It's a very abusive relationship. <laughs> Especially right now. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Victory, I got, just really quick, uh, this has nothing to do with today. Jeff, Jeff Victory told me a, a, a joke yesterday. He said, man, Friday I, I, I got out of my car and I locked it and I had two Florida State football tickets on the, the dashboard of my car. And while I was gone, somebody broke into his car and put two more tickets there. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so, so some of you have a relationship with Florida State, right? And listen, no kidding. Like you watch the game and the, 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 the hours or the days following the game affects your personal life. If you think about it, it's ridiculous. But it means you have a relationship with them. Now, really quick, don't feel bad. I have a relationship with Georgia Tech. If you think your football relationship is abusive, oh my gosh, we lost to the Citadel. And you're like, who is that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But I have a relationship with it. And there's even something in me that like wants to not be in that relationship anymore. Like I'm trying to foster a new relationship with the Georgia Bulldogs. Go dogs, Because they're really incredible. Now they can't spell D-A-W-G whatever. Like it's, it's terrible, right? But you know, that's representative of how great the school is. So that's fine. But, <laughs> but they're really good at football. I would rather have that relationship. And the reality is that I'm going to have a relationship. You do too. With so many other things. In fact, do me a favor, just for a second. At all of our churches, this is going to be fun. Just turn to somebody beside you, just really quick. Take like 10 seconds. Turn to somebody beside you and tell them one thing that you have a relationship with that isn't a person. One thing. Right, ready, go. Tell somebody beside you what that one thing is. All of our churches. All right, by all the talking, all right, I, I hear the people at Chipley, they're really getting after it. Okay, all right, here we go. Everybody back? Anybody say bacon? That's another food one. It's so great. Okay, you should all have a relationship with bacon. Why would you not? I mean, so, so here's the thing about these relationships. It's so interesting, right? See, we think that a relationship requires another individual, but that isn't true. And even more so, we are often in relationships where the other person, the other thing in the relationship isn't even relating back to us, like your boat or those people. 
Like having a relationship doesn't even require participation on both sides. <laughs> Which, again, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know what that means, right? It means that we all have a relationship with the, those people in our life. Now, they may not know about you, maybe a category, they may not even know you exist. But if you know they exist, if you have imaginary conversations with them, if you think that they're wrong, if you think that they're behaving badly, if you have an opinion about them, you have a relationship with them. And if it's true, if it's true that the quality of our lives is only as good as the quality of our relationships, I have some bad news for you. The relationship that you have, that I have with the, those people in our lives is a real relationship and it is affecting the quality of our lives. And it is destructive and it is abusive to you, not to them. In fact, those people may not even know that you exist, but you know they do. And your relationship with them is destroying you. Now, I, I really can't help you much today if you have a relationship with Queso or a boat. I mean, a, a counselor can. I can't help you with that. But I, can th I do think I can help you or the Apostle Paul can help you, maybe is a better way to say it. When it comes to the relationship that's hurting you that you have with those people in your life. He gives us some incredible, incredible advice in the book of Romans that's really applicable to how we can think and behave when it comes to the, those people in our life. Because we have a relationship with them, we better figure out how to make it less destructive and less difficult for us. In the book of Romans, it's the, it's the longest letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to any of the churches or Christians in these different Mediterranean kind of rim cities. Um, in the book of Romans, he gives some really, really great advice. And we can trust the Apostle Paul on this advice. And the reason is because the Apostle Paul, maybe more than anybody in the first century, he was up to his eyeballs in those people. I mean, he had so many those people in and around his life. I mean, think about it. Earlier in his adult life, he was a Christian mercenary, right? He's a Pharisee. He's a Jew of Jews. He is getting letters from the people in charge to go and arrest and even execute Christians. Then he meets Jesus, completely changes his life, changes his direction, and now he's a Christian missionary. I mean, he has had those people on both sides of this thing. And in fact, even as a Christian missionary, when he shows up in cities, the Christians are a little bit nervous. They're like, aren't you the guy who was killing us recently? You know, Ugh, stay away. I'm a version of those people too. I mean, he had so many of those people. Everywhere he went, people were trying to arrest him and beat him up and uh, arrest him, right? Uh, persecute him. Eventually, he was executed for his faith. So listen, he understood what it was like to live with those people. And with that understanding, he gives some incredible advice. Here's what he says. This is in Romans. We're going to start in, in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what he says. It's, it's, at least he says this to Christians. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to do any of this. You can just, it's interesting though, but and it'll probably make your life better. But for if you're a Jesus follower, this is for us. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, which automatically, that's like empathy 101, right? Like when those people are rejoicing, Paul thinks that you should rejoice with them, to which we go, nah, I'd rather mourn when they rejoice, but I'll rejoice when they mourn. That's what I want to do. Paul says, nah, we're not going to do it that way. 
He continues, he says, live in harmony with one another. And you can see he's even bringing in some of this Jesus language into it. Like, like Paul is giving us like practical, like ways to live based on the command that Jesus gave. Like he's making it super practical. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. He continues, do not, do not repay anyone evil for evil, meaning don't take revenge into your own hands. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, another version of one another, in the eyes of everyone. And then it gets really practical. He says, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Now, just for a second, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That isn't even possible. Like, I can see us being able to rejoice better with, when those people rejoice, maybe mourn a little when they mourn. I, mean, I, can, I can see us not taking, you know, revenge, not being vengeful. I, mean, I, can, I can see that. But live at peace with everyone? That just seems ridiculous. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're like, this is why. Like, who can do that? I know Jesus followers. They don't do that. They're hypocritical too, right? I, I'm not going to even try it. There's no way. Great news. That's the end of the sentence. Live at peace with everyone is not the expectation because it's impossible to do that. Paul couldn't even live at peace with everyone. Here's how he starts the, the practical instruction. He says, if it is possible, to which we should all go, whew, because we know it isn't always possible, right? Like it is impossible to live at peace with everyone. It's possible with some of those people, but there are groups of those people, there are individuals in the those people category that you will never be at peace with. You'll never be at peace with. They're so drastically wrong. Maybe they're literally wrong. There's just no way you can live at peace with them. And Paul understands that. Like I said, Paul was up to his eyeballs with those people and eventually they executed him. He knew what he was talking about. If it is possible, he said, and then he gives us like the real nugget of, of application. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Another way to kind of say it is that, that I think Paul wants us to never, never, never let yourself be the reason for an unpeaceful relationship. There, there may be an unpeaceful relationship with others, but we should never be the cause of it. We should never be the reason behind it. So for the last few minutes we have, like practically, practically what actually depends on us? Like, like what does it mean? Like practically what depends on us? Because if we try to apply this idea to those people, we would quickly realize that we can't control those people, which means if we can't control those people, we won't always be able to live at peace with those people. But, but practically, what depends on us? Specifically, what depends on us? When I thought about this, I mean, at least in my life, because I'm like you, I, I've got versions of those people. I've got people in my life that are nearly impossible to love for me. So I started thinking about, what, what are, at least for me, what are the obstacles between me and those people that keep me from being able to live out Jesus's new command with those people? Like, what are the obstacles that get in the way? And I came up with four. Now, I don't know if there are only four. These are the four I came up with for you. Maybe these are your four, or maybe just one of them is your, you know, one. Or maybe there's 12 for you. I don't know. But for me, there were four specific things. Here's what I came up with for me. That our own, or I could say my own, our own ego, pride, desires, and prejudices 
Those four things, they should never get in the way of us living peaceably with others. Those four things, they, should, they always get in the way, but we have to figure out a way to make them get out of the way. Like for instance, when it comes to our own ego, like it is so tempting to allow kind of our own self-esteem or feelings of self-importance to get in the way and block the path to peace between us and those people. And we all have a version of an ego, some bigger than others, but it's so easy to allow our own self-importance to block the path between us and those people. And that does depend on us because we can handle, we get to control our own ego. Or, or how about our, our pride? I mean, I don't know if we all have ego, but we all have pride issues, every one of us. Pride is that thing in us that is just forces us to be unwilling to not back down. It's that thing in us that forces us to be like unwilling to admit that we might be wrong and those people might actually be right. But pride is that thing in us that forces us or just, we just won't be able, we can't forgive someone over there in the those people category. We can't lean in their direction. That's what, that's what pride does. And it blocks the path to living peaceably with those people. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's desires. We, we all in some way have a desire to control others, including those people. But, but we can't allow our desire to control or manipulate those people to act or think more like us to get in the way of living peaceably with those people. We can't do that. Here's the last one. This is the most fun one. We can't allow our prejudices to get in the way either. Now, before you start composing your email or, you know, having that imaginary argument with me, this word, it's a loaded word, right? Let's just admit this for a minute. Like, this word has been so politicized, it's been leveraged against and for every different thing. I mean, I get it. But at the, like, just defining the word prejudice, we all live in some version of that. Prejudice is just simply this, this thing in us that decides beforehand an unfavorable opinion about somebody or a group of people like those people. That's all prejudice is. If you have an unfavorable opinion of those people that you've decided before you even met those people, that's prejudice, that's all it is. And let's just be honest, we're all in church, we all have that. Like we all have a version of prejudice. In fact, not only do we have a version of it, for most of it, most of us, we don't even know we have it. And when we realize that we have it, we, we try to get rid of it because then we look at the prejudice and we think, no, I don't think Jesus is that way. I think I should be less that way. But so much of our prejudice is actually unknown to us. We're not intentionally prejudiced. Most of us, some of us are, but most of us aren't. But it's this unknown thing in us where we just start making up our minds beforehand about those people about that political party, about that race, about that gender, about that generation. And we've made up our mind about who they are and why they behave the way they behave, why they think the way they think. That's just, I mean, at the core of it, it's just prejudice. And it gets in the way. It is an incredibly difficult obstacle between us and our ability to love those people the way that Jesus has commanded that we do. Now, the, the good news is that there is a solution to all four of those things. And you know what the solution is, right? The solution is empathy. 
Empathy evolves our ego. It changes the way we think about our self-importance. Because when you begin to not just sympathize with someone else, but when you begin to understand and feel what they are feeling, that's what empathy is, it begins to evolve your own self-importance and you become way less important to yourself. In fact, the more you understand about someone else, the less concerned you are about yourself. It evolves our ego. It also proves where we're prideful. When you begin to seek to understand someone else and share in their feelings, it starts illuminating or proving where you have pride and where you're struggling to let go, where you struggle to forgive. It, it discloses, it illuminates our desires to control other people. When you begin to understand why they believe the way they believe, why they feel or think the way they think, when you begin to understand what their experiences in life have been that were so different than yours, you begin to have insight on why they think the way they think, why they feel the way they feel, maybe why they vote the way they vote. And it illuminates that you're trying to change them. And maybe changing them isn't the goal anyway. Maybe just loving them is the goal. And then finally, it always professes our prejudices. Every time, every time I get to interact with someone who's in the those people category that I have a version of prejudice with, if I will just let go of the prejudice and instead seek to understand them, I am always amazed at how much we have in common, not how much we have that's different. I mean, it's amazing. When I start trying to ask good questions and understand and share in their feelings, how much I have in common with people that I've predetermined what I think of. And when I begin to do that, you know what happens? And I know this is true for all of us. The prejudice starts to fall away because you realize that what you thought was true wasn't actually true. That's why empathy is so important when it comes to this new commandment that Jesus gave us. See, when it comes to empathy, empathy is always curious. It's never critical. Empathy is always so curious. It's not critical. Empathy doesn't make up its mind beforehand. Empathy doesn't decide what those people are all about before you know who they are. Empathy is curious. It leads with questions. It seeks to understand. It, it seeks to share and the feelings with others. In fact, I, I actually think that the most empathetic thing we can do to live out this command that Jesus gave us is to learn to be more curious and way less critical. And, and the good news about curiosity is that absolutely just depends on you. If you were to think like, well, what depends on me when it comes to living at peace with those people? Well, maybe it's just curiosity. Maybe that's what depends on you. Can I give you three kind of curiosity questions that I think would be so helpful if, if we could all begin to ask them of the, those people who we know? The, the, the first question is this, what is it like to be you? Have you ever asked anybody that? Like, what is it like to be you? Now, no, again, no elbows. We think we know what it's like to be other people, don't we? Like, we think we know what it's like, but the reality is that we only know what it's like to be us. We really don't know what it's like to be others. Like, I know what it's like to be a 45-year-old white male pastor from Atlanta. I got that part relatively covered. Not perfect, pretty covered. But that's about it. 
That's really about it. I don't know what it's like to be a different gender. I don't know what it's like to be a different race. I don't know what it's like to have grown up in the Northeast, not the Southeast. I don't know any of that. I don't know what it's like to not be me. What an incredible question. What is it like to be you? And then the second question I love to ask is what do you think it's like to be me? What do you think it's like to be me? Did you know that when you ask somebody who isn't like you, what they think it's like to be you, they have an opinion because they have a prejudice too. They have pride. They have an ego too, just like we do. And when we begin to ask that question, it helps us understand how they feel about us too. It begins to help us understand where they're coming from, where they've been, and what they see in you. And then the last question, if you're really on board, if you really want to be like crazy Jesus person, this is a hard question to ask. But uh, my, my friend Jeff Henderson, he, he's one of our, our pastors in our North Point network. He's one of my good friends. He asked this question. And when he first asked this question, I almost defriended him. It was such a painful question. But I started asking it, and it may have been the most helpful one of all. He, he asked this question. He says, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Have you ever asked somebody that? What is it like to be on the other side of me. What a horribly painful but helpful question. I mean, some of us need to just go home, maybe in the car ride on the way home, you need to look at your spouse and go, hey, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Now put your seatbelt on first because whew, you're going to get some answers. But, but what is it like to be on the other side of me? Like, what is it like to be you? What do you think it's like to be me? What is it like to be on the other side, the receiving side of me? If you'll begin to ask those three questions in the context of those people, I think what you'll find is that the questions may not change those people, but those questions will begin to change you. And it will begin to change your heart. And as your heart changes, the best thing happens. You begin to actually have the ability to live out Jesus's new command, not just with our people, but with those people. And when those people don't stay over there and they sneak in over here, it doesn't affect you as much anymore because you're able to find out more about them. You're able to ask them some really good questions. You're able to be curious, not critical. You're, you're able, instead of fueling the things that make you prejudiced, you're able to deconstruct those things. Instead of just listening to people who are just like you and listening to the news channels that just repeat the same thing that you want to hear over and over, you begin to broaden your worldview. You begin to understand that there are people who are different than you. And different doesn't mean wrong. It just means different. And when you begin to lean into empathy and lean into curiosity, oh my gosh, the most amazing things happen in your heart. So as we leave, here's the, here's the if you forgot everything we talked about, here's what I want you to remember. Do what you can do as far as it depends on you. That's it. Do what you can do as far as it depends on you. When it comes to living at peace with everybody around you, when it comes to living at peace with those people, uh, you'll never change them. You can't manipulate them. And you're not supposed to, right? But what depends on you? And once you can determine what depends on you, go do that. Do what you can do as far as it depends on you. That will change everything in you. And you know what'll happen? This is the coolest thing. When you begin to do that, you're going to look a lot like Jesus. And other people are going to begin to see Jesus in you. And it may not change their upbringing. 
may not change the way they vote. It may not change the way they act, the way they dress, the way they think. It might change their eternity, though. And in the end, isn't that the only thing that really matters? So what depends on you? And do what only you can do to live at peace with everyone around you. Can I pray before we leave? Heavenly Father, thanks so much for... Um, seems weird to say this, I guess, but, but thank you for putting those people in our life because if everybody in our life was just like us, we would never learn what it looks like to love people the way that you loved us. <laughs> because when you chose to love me, you chose to love someone who was nothing like you. You chose to love someone who was sinful and arrogant and difficult and unloving, and you chose to love me anyway. And so when we get to do that in the direction of other people, it, it doesn't just have the potential to change their heart. It, it changes our heart and it helps us understand your heart. So thank you for those people. Thank you for the difficult people. Thank you that you've put them in our lives. And thank you that there is incredible purpose behind having them in our lives. And God, thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. And thank you for continuing to love us because we continue to be unlovable. And God, we love you, though, and we're so gracious for you, thankful for your grace. Uh, God, we love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here as we concluded in your shoes. Uh, next week, we'd love for you to come back. Paul has a brand new conversation. You're going to hear a lot of good stuff about, so we'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much.